You're listening to Artistic Finance, Show 95. Today, we talk with actor Patrick Oliver Jones about how he has managed finances as an actor. We discuss the actor's equity pension and 401k, the annual limits to Roth IRAs, co-signing loans with your special someone, filing your own taxes, and opening an LLC as an actor and creative. We also talk about Patrick's recent live cabaret show at Green Room 42 in New York City. I couldn't help myself, and I asked if he turned a profit on it. We also find out about one of Patrick's streams of income, which is a fairly unique job over at The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. It's not what you would expect, so be sure to listen for that. A special thank you to my Patreon patrons who are putting their money toward creating this content. These interviews would not happen without your support, so thank you. And without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm here with actor Patrick Oliver-Jones, host of Why I'll Never Make It. Now we're recording this February 2nd, 2022, amid the COVID Omicron surge. Last night, I saw The Music Man on Broadway with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. And I must say the design was beautiful. It was just perfect. It, It was exactly what The Music Man should be and we all expect it to be. There was nothing special but it was special because of that. (laughs) So highly recommend if that's still running when this comes out. If you have listened to all of our episodes up to this point, you already know Patrick, as he has kindly let us rebroadcast an episode of Why I'll Never Make It with guest Rebecca Selko of the Actors Fund. So now, Patrick, let's get to know the New York City-based artist that you are. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So my name, as you have so eloquently said, is Patrick Oliver Jones, and I came here to New York in 2008. That was a a long run of, I'd been in Vegas, I'd been in Orlando originally from Birmingham, Alabama. So it was bouncing around to a lot of different places as I was performing at Disney World or in a show in Vegas. And since I've been in New York, it's been a lot of regional theaters, as well as off-Broadway stuff that I've been able to do. Still have yet to get that that Broadway credit, but uh, keep trying. But I have done a f- couple of national tours, one of the Adams Family and one of the most recent Avita Revival. And as you can just hear from my background, I do love to travel a lot. I do love to go to different places. So national tours and that kind of thing, that just really fit into my wheelhouse as far as going places, visiting this. I, I love to find out the what people eat in different locations and like what the local food is, whether we're in New Orleans or whether it's Nashville or whether it's out in Los Angeles or, you know, wherever we are, I love to find out the, the local cuisine and hot places to eat. All right. Now my favorite question here. Can you describe your demographics for us? Yes. So I am male. I am 48 years old. I am white. I'm currently married to a husband. I have a bachelor's degree in journalism, mass communication, originally from Birmingham, Alabama, which is where my alma mater, Sanford University, is. And one unique fact about me is that I eat 
M&Ms, goldfish, any of those smaller food items, I eat them two at a time. I don't know why, but one goes in either side of the mouth and that's how I eat them. So <laughs> there's my little unique fact. Okay. You, do you ever eat half of one? Sometimes I get to the end of the bag and there's three. So then yes, one and one and then half goes in either side. It's a, it's a quirk. But only at the end of the bag. Only at that's the end hilarious. of the bag. Right. <laughs> okay. So what is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member or is a piece of art that you like? Well, obviously, I'm an actor, so I love the theater, the musical theater especially. That is my bread and butter. So as far as certainly pre-pandemic, most of my entertainment fund went to spending it on shows, Broadway shows, off-Broadway, and, and the like, especially if it was seeing friends of mine or just the the latest, biggest, hottest show that was that was in town. But at the same time, I do like the the special little things. For example, one of my favorite was, this was during Christmas holidays, and there's an animated short called The Snowman. And it's like 20, 30 minutes, I think. And there's no lyric. There's no dialogue in it. It's just music, and that's what sets the the mood as you go through the animated short. And the Metropolitan Museum took the score and brought in a boys' choir and instrumentalist, and they did all of the music. And there's one boy soprano solo in the middle of it. They brought all of this, and that was live while the audience gets to watch the movie on the screen behind them. And so things like that are just something that I love to go to, where it's, it's incorporating things that I, I love, but presented in a different way. Wow, I love that. All right, now your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? I would say that I am good with money, but I would also say that there was a time in my life where I was like just a stickler with that. Like I knew where every single penny was. And I will say over the last few years, I'm not as diligent. Like I, I more have a rough idea of where my money is and where it's going but uh, I'm not as down to the penny as I used to be. All right, so now let's go before your career to when you were growing up. Did you have a good financial example to learn from? I would say so overall that I did. I grew up with a single mother, so it was just her income really that we survived off of. And I remember that there was one time, we didn't really talk about money that much, but I knew that I was well provided for and I went to private school, K through 12. And I know that my mother, she worked in a hospital, so she was able to afford it. But at the same time, she did forego a lot of her own needs in order to make that happen for me. So I know that financially we were fine, but we certainly weren't like rolling in it by any means. It was definitely a, uh, you know, we I, I was comfortable, but by no means did I feel spoiled. I think that that made me appreciate, even without my mother really talking about it so much, it just made me appreciate the sacrifice that she did. And so even in my own life, I want to make sure that my money is going towards things that are worthwhile. And once I have something, really taking care of it. Got it. Got it. So when you started your career, I guess when you got out of college, what did your finances look like at that point? <laughs> well, I was a, uh, yeah, I was definitely an actor who was just, just trying to struggle to, to get, a, get a paycheck. My very first performing job was for $150 a week. 
So that was back in 1992. And uh, yeah, it, it didn't go up that much over the next few years. But I, once I graduated, then my very first year out of college, I know that I made $11,000 that year. So not a lot. If it wasn't for the fact that the theater was housing me, then I, I don't know that I would have been able to like go anywhere or do anything. So really it was, you know, low pay, but they were taking care of housing. And really all I had to do was just kind of buy some groceries just to get me by, you know? So I, I really just, every penny that I made was just to exist. And I didn't really get to save anything those first couple of years. Wow, that's incredible, 11,000. I hear what people made their first year. And I, granted that was a few years ago. But still 11,000. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, I mean, because it was just, what was it? It was like 10 years ago, you know, when it was all said and done, expenses and everything, like my taxable income was 9,000 for the year. So, I mean, there, there are just some years where you, you just, I think that's, that's that paycheck to paycheck kind of mentality where it's like what, what came in went out just as quickly and I barely made anything to, to keep me going. That's lovely to hear that that was 10 years ago and not in 2020, which is when I was expecting you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, fortunately, because of unemployment insurance and the, the pandemic payment, I was actually making more than I thought I was going to. So that really was the only reason why I was able to survive 2020. Now that we're sort of past pandemic, daily, on a daily basis, do you worry or think about money on a daily basis? I wouldn't say that I worry about it, but I'm more at a place now where I do wonder about the kind of job, because at this point from the national tours and other things that I've done, that I have been able to save money, invest money. So I do have money in the background that just sits there that should I ever need it, I could, I could use it. So... I don't worry so much about if being destitute or, or, or being thrown out of my apartment, but I do worry about, well, where is my job going to come from so that I don't have to touch those savings, so that I don't have to, you know, start to deplete that. Because, you know, if I just did nothing, that would last me maybe, you know, a year or two. But at the same time, I'd, that, that's for if I ever get sick. That's for if I can no longer perform and I'm having to do something else. You, you know, that's for the real emergencies rather than just, you know, day-to-day -day living. So I mostly worry about the job more so than money per se at this point. Do you, I'm, I'm thinking of, of probably that $11,000 that you made the first year out right now. Do you have any debts? The only debt that I have is is a very interesting one. Uh, I, I do use credit cards, but fortunately, I'm able to pay them off every month. So the only debt that I have incurred right now is a student loan. However, it is not my loan. It is one that I co-signed 10 years ago. I was in a relationship, and I co-signed for him. And there was the idea that we would be together, but then we didn't. But... We are still together on that loan. So that is the only outstanding debt that I have. And if your audience has ever heard of Susie Orman, the financial guru that she is, the, one of her biggest, hugest, like, you know, red light, red light, never co-sign a loan for anyone. And I was a follower of hers. I listened to her. I, I tried to take her advice as best I could, but that was the one thing that I did not take. And, uh, 
it's it has fortunately not come back to bite me as he has been very conscientious about paying it off and staying diligent with it. But should that time ever come, <laughs> then I'm on the hook. Okay. I I really want to ask what the amount is, but I won't. Oh, no, no, I, no that's fine. That's fine. So the amount is $36,000 at this point. Yeah. So, 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 so it's not huge. You know, it's not that 100, 150 that some people talk about. But it started out, I think, around 35. And he's been making payments. But because of interest, it's actually ticked up more than it's ticked down. One of our previous episodes with lighting designer Lap Chi Chu, that was his thing. He's like, I had the small loan, and it w- I could have stretched it out to 30 years, but at some point I was like, whoa, 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 I'm going to make more than double in interest, which is just painful. Even And his was really low, so it's like, even if it's $100 a month and I could do that for 30 years, why? Why? Like, So he tackled it you know, sooner. Yeah, yeah. I, I was the same with, mine, with my own student loan that... I, th- I think it lasted about six years. I, because of work, thankfully, I was able to get mine done in six years. I had done it for 10, but then because of, of extra payments, I basically paid every four weeks rather than every month. And so that gave me an extra payment every year. And so just that little bit, plus I would throw extra money here and there. And so that allowed me to uh, pay it down quicker. Got it, got it. You alluded to keeping a budget earlier, maybe early on in your career. But throughout your career, have you used a budget? I would say that there are times, probably the last time that I really sat down to break down into a budget was maybe about five or six years ago. It was more just to get a sense of where I was than, than to dictate what I can and can't spend every month. I'm more or less, because now now I'm in a place where I know that what I'm going to spend on is either towards something that that is just for entertainment or I'm, or I'm going to eat out. But I also know that I don't go overboard with it. And so it's more or less, I now just have innately within me, I know where the money goes and I know if I've spent way too much. And if I ever think that I have, then, you know, then I'll kind of check the balances. I'll see what money is going in. Okay, have, have my savings? Has my bank account? Where has it been going in the last? I, I more just get the overall sense. And if it's remained steady, I'm like, okay, I, you know, the spending I've been doing, just keep on this path and don't, you know, overspend. But if I see that anything starts to dip, then I'll start to cut back. So it's more just an ebb and flow rather than a penny-pinching which is what I used to do. I'm surprised you didn't make a budget after your episode with Rebecca Salco, because she made such a good case for doing that. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. I, I mean, she gave a great way to look at it. I, I will say, I think it does go back to what I was just saying, that I now have more of a mentality of a budget rather than an actual crunching the numbers and having it written down. When I I, I will say that when writing it down, that does really help. And I've used programs like Mint or other things online that kind of do the same thing where, where I'm able to partition out where my expenses and income is, is all going and coming. But at the same time, there's a part of me, I think that as I've gotten older, there's a trust in myself that I'm not just going to overspend. You know, I don't have like a gambling problem. I don't have these things where I just spend, spend, spend and needlessly. So I, so I don't have any bad habits in that respect in my life. So there is just a trust in myself. 
But at the same time, I also recognize my own laziness in not wanting to confront and really know the nitty gritty detail. Cause then I would probably, I probably would, you know, stop spending a lot more and I would worry a lot more. It would, I think, create a lot more maybe anxiety within me. And I think I found a, a nice equilibrium where I know what's going on, but I don't need to know every single yeah. detail. And actually going back to you, you listening to Susie Orman and knowing not to sign, to co-sign the loan. We had Naja Roberts on. Her thing was, hey, family, knowledge is power. No, no, no. Applied knowledge is power. And I feel like that's, that's our new thing on this show is applied knowledge is power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I, much the same way, all the people that come on to my podcast, they talk about whether it's mental health issues or, or, uh, or actual physical health issues. They, they give tips on auditions. They talk about being in the audition room, what, you know, whatever area of the business or their personal life that they talk about, that one of the common themes is nothing really changes. They, they don't really start toward that path of where they want to be or success or making it, whatever that means to them. They don't really start on that path until they start to really take the step-by-step -step approach to get there. Just knowing or dreaming or hoping these are wonderful things and is a first part to get there. But until you actually start taking the steps, you're just not going to get anywhere. What is the best financial decision that you've ever made? Or what's the best financial thing you've ever done that maybe other people could learn from? For me, I think it was once I discovered investing, you know, I'm certainly not going to tell people what to invest or how to invest, but I think just the idea of starting small, of just doing it, that really laid the foundation because I've been able to grow my investment since I first started doing it in the early 90s. And I've been able to grow instead some months or even some years, I'm not able to contribute that much to it. But when I do have an extra income coming in, then I'm able to put that money away. And the investments are really what have allowed me to have that nest egg that should I ever become incapacitated, I can't perform, I'm not finding any work, whatever that emergency is, that I do have that financial uh, support underneath me that could, that could handle that. So for me, that I would say is definitely my best financial decision and just trusting that this money, it could go up, it could go down. That's that's the stock market. But just letting time do its work of letting that money grow. I love that. And that's a theme that comes up almost every single episode for us is time. Start early, start now, start as soon as possible, and let time help you. All right, so this is a question from me to you as an actor. Currently, right now in your life, how do you find jobs or how do you get work? Because I know obviously there's acting. But you said yourself, you haven't gotten your Broadway show, so you're not acting all the time. How is that balance in your life? Well, in my time here in New York, it has been mostly from acting, thankfully. So I, I have been grateful for that. But there's down times, whether it's a few months or maybe even a year or more. The pandemic has certainly been one of those instances where the acting jobs just aren't as plentiful. And a few ways that I've made money, certainly 
claiming unemployment. That was, I'd never done that until I moved to New York. So that was never a thing that I, even in that year that I made $11,000, I never did unemployment just because I never, I never thought of it or considered it or thought that that was for somebody else. I, that's, I don't, that's not for me. Once I kind of got over whatever that mental hangup was and going to the Actors Fund was actually part of that because they, they had a financial course where they were, where they brought up unemployment. And they said, unemployment isn't like welfare. It's not this assistance that says you failed in life. It just means that you're in between jobs. And I think that just that perspective was like, right, this is, this doesn't mean that I failed. This doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. It just means that I'm in a, in a lull right now. You know, there's the peaks, the ups and downs of our financial career. I'm just kind of on a downward slope, but it will go up again. So during this time, unemployment can help. And it's also something that employers have already paid into. So I'm really just getting money that employers are helping me bridge the gaps between unemployment. So that's been a really big thing that that has helped me. But as far as getting other jobs, I've also worked for nonprofit organizations, whether it's office work or I, I'm pretty good with audio and video editing. And that's one of my skills being a mass communication broadcasting uh, since I had a broadcasting degree from college. And so I've been able to use some of those skills and certainly being a podcaster now, I'm utilizing that audio skill on a regular basis. So I have been able to parlay some of my skills outside of acting into work. But most recently, I was surprised to find a job at The Tonight Show. And it was one, I'm sure most actors are familiar with Actors Access, which is just an online way to sign up, submit for auditions, and hopefully uh, you know, get self-tapes or in-person auditions as they slowly come back. And for myself, one of those, they needed a stand-in for Jimmy Fallon. So I was like, okay. So I submitted, and I guess I have the right build, right kind of height. So maybe sometimes they need his hand to do something. So that's that's a stand-in job. Or they need an over-the-shoulder shot. So I would be just that shoulder. You know, So random things like that. But then after the pandemic and they started to come back to the studio, they needed someone who was there to take part in the rehearsals the technical rehearsals before each show taping. And so they brought me in for what was to be a couple of weeks and other stand-ins were brought in. And then those couple of weeks turned into almost the full year of work in 2021 of being a stand-in going in every day. So it's kind of random, the work. It's not what I want to do. It's not the theater. It's not musicals. It's not the performing I like, but it utilizes a different skill set of basically providing that energy in the room as if Jimmy was there to then they can rehearse and really have the best setup for when he does show up for rehearsal and for the taping. All right. I know you're saying it's not what you want to do necessarily, but it's a paycheck. But I am just thrilled that we on Artistic Finance now have Jimmy Fallon stand in. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know, like we've had a, a variety of people on here. We've had CEOs, we've had, you know, millionaires, probably some billionaires. I don't know. We've had all sorts, but we just got Jimmy Fallon standing. I love that. Well, I've, I'm glad. You know what? I, I will say it is one of those things that getting to sit behind the desk for the first time was very surreal. It was very strange, but also like 
weirdly empowering because it's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm now at this level. Okay. And so there, believe me, I'm I feel very blessed and very grateful to have this opportunity. And I and I certainly get to talk to him every now and then. He knows who I am. We fist bump. So it, it, it there is a certain, you know, excitement in that. But uh but really it's it still comes down to the same job of working with other stage managers, the crew to make a show happen. And even though I'm not the one on the show doing it, there is still a, a vital service that I play. And I think realizing that, that I don't have to be the performer, I don't have to be the lead actor, that I can still be a part of a show and contribute to a success. That's one thing that has, um, that's, I think that has made the job even more uh, appreciative than I, I would have been otherwise. That's fantastic. All right. So that's a more recent job. What about your, your very first job? How did you get that? My first acting job in New York was, fortunately, it was the shortly after the summer that I came here. So that was the summer of 2008. I performed in the producers out in Gateway Playhouse, which is in Long Island. So this was about a year or so after the Broadway version had closed. And so it used a lot of the Broadway people from both the uh, you know the New York production as well as the touring production to be a part of this, so I was I was in the room with with Broadway people, and this is just a couple of months after moving to New York, so it really made me feel like oh okay all right made the right decision I'm I'm working with good people and I'm, I'm certainly making more than one hundred and fifty dollars a week, so I was grateful for that. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Which job of yours has been most financially lucrative? I would say the one that was the most hopeful, because I, I, I worked for Disney Cruise Lines, and they, they paid me very well, thankfully. But the one that I really looked, I was really hopeful was going to be that Broadway debut was First Wives Club. We started rehearsal here in New York. We went to Chicago for the out-of-town tryout. And the goal was to leave Chicago and come to New York. This was in 2015. But unfortunately, something happened in, in the last couple of weeks. And every equity show, especially a big show like that, has a bond that the producers have to pay into. Should something happen, that means actors will still get paid. And it was the first and only time in my career that I was paid out of the bond for that, for that last week of pay. And so obviously there were some financial troubles. The show did not end up coming to Broadway. And it was, uh, it was kind of devastating because we had a great cast, a great crew. The, the, the book was funny. The music I think was getting better. They, they were still working on it. So th that was the most financially lucrative because I think when it was all said and done, I was making a little more than 2000 a week. So for me, that was like the most money I'd ever made in, in a week's time. It was more the opportunity of what it represented than the paycheck. Wow, that's awesome. Well, that's a bummer. Sorry to hear that, you know, seven years later. Right, <laughs> right. Also interesting about the bond, because that also pays for the loadout and the crew and all that. It pays for everybody. Yeah, it's to cover yeah. all the expenses. And so I assume that everyone, not just the actors, that everyone was paid out of that bond in order to, you know, shore up all of their expenses that were still due. Yeah, interesting. The paychecks that you're, you're getting nowadays, are they mostly W-2, mostly 1099? What range do you get there? I would say for the most part, the stand-in job at Tonight Show isn't as full-time as it used to be. Now it's more just on-call 
day to days when they need me. So that's still my main source of income, and that's W-2. And when I'm not doing that, that's kind of what 22 is all about, is now finding, hopefully, getting back into theater work again, but at the same time, figuring out what other sources of income there can be. And that's kind of a process that I'm in right now. And I feel like that 1099 work will be coming more because for the past, uh, I would say, two or three years, there hasn't been much 1099. It's mostly been, you know, W-2 taxes taken out and all that. But I think with opportunities that could present themselves in the the cabaret, the hosting market, that that could be more uh, more contract, independent contractor 1099 work. I got it. I got it. Yeah. There was also a push like for off-Broadway theaters um, before the shutdown. And there was like, they were pushing to put people on W-2 versus 1099. And I feel like that's also sort of gone away now and people are just returning back to the 1099 thing. But do you pay quarterly taxes? No, no. I, I just pay the once a year tax day. That's what I do. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, and do you file your own taxes? Yes. For the past few years, uh, since being married, we, we've used uh, TurboTax. We've been able to use that. It's just a, you know, obviously that's a lot cheaper. But it, before that, was doing the the whole accountant thing. And in New York, that's like, you know, five or 600 bucks to do that. When I was living in Las Vegas, and actually I used that same accountant for years after I left Las Vegas. But when I was there, I found a tax guy and he was only like maybe 190 for, for everything. And that was multiple states as well as the federal and Schedule C. So it was, I mean, it was a great deal for what it was. And it remained that same rate for the years after. So once he got out of the business, then I had to start looking for, for another accountant, which then became a lot more expensive. But um, I would say that since I've been in Orlando, I've always had an accountant. It's only been in the last couple of years or so that I've started to do it myself with a program like TurboTax. Okay, so now your retirement plan, do you have one? <laughs> well, I have some retirement funds. I don't necessarily have a plan per se. Well, when I say plan, I guess, what what are all the parts that make that up? Because you're in equity, so I assume you're going to get a pension or something from equity? Right, right. There is some pension that will come from that, and you have to work so many years in order to be what's called vested in that pension, and then, then you'll have access to it. So there is that. There's also the 401ks that through the national tours and through uh, a couple other contracts that I've had that equity allows myself and or the producers to then pay into that 401k. So I have a little bit there. And are, are all those tours go into the same 401k? So it's just one 401k? Yeah, yeah, it's one 401k and I manage as far as how I want the, the funds to be dispersed within the 401k and, and the, the different mutual funds that it goes into. And everybody can listen to episode 89 with Elena Sartor, where we go over how to pick funds for a 401k. Not that, Patrick, you need any help. You seem like you're totally in control. No, no, I, I still like just recently, I, you know, since I started working again with uh, with The Tonight Show, money was coming in more regularly. So I was like, okay, I can get back into the investment and nest egg and putting money away. So I I was researching the ETFs and mutual funds and ways to to put my money away and, and where it would be best served. But um, 
and 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 that's that's what I did for my IRA as well. It's it's uh, it's kind of the same process of well, where do you want the money to go? What kind of mutual funds and uh, that diversified portfolio, as they call it? What do you want to look like? So I do have an IRA, and that's something I started. I want to say like maybe 10, 10 years ago, fifteen maybe. But it's um, th that was definitely something that happened cl around the time I was moving to New York, and I knew that I needed one. And I've, I think there's only been a couple of times since I've had it that I've maxed out the contribution, which was fifty five hundred. I think it's close to six thousand now, or six thousand. Yeah, it's one of those things where I'm rarely ever able to uh, to contribute that maximum. But just again, it's that little bit, little bit. I'm going to say something that's going to make you mad. Here we go. I just have to point it out because we're talking about it. You are allowed to contribute in 2022 $6,000 to an IRA. When you reach age 50, you're allowed to put an extra thousand in. So you could put $7,000 in as a way to sort of make up for lost time. Oh, okay. Patrick, I'm pointing that out because you mentioned you were 48. <laughs> because I'm close. <laughs> so I just want to let you know in a couple years, you're going to be able to put in a little extra if you want. Yep, yep, this is true. This is true. Make up for all those times I couldn't max it out. I'm so sorry to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ethan. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so wait. The IRA, is it a Roth or is it a traditional? Roth IRA. Oh, yes. Oh, you're speaking my language, baby. Oh, that's so good to hear. Really, it was around the time that Roth was getting popular that I, I got one. I don't know when the Roth was invented or when it started, but I know around the time that I was looking into an IRA, Roth was gaining steam. So, yeah. So as I was listening to traditional versus Roth, Roth just made so much more sense because I would rather know for certainty that when I retire, that my money is my money. I don't need to worry about taxes at that point. I'd rather just put the money in and uh, let it sit there and not, and not wonder, oh gosh, how, how much taxes are I going to have to pay when this is, comes out or when I'm 60 or 70 or when I start to withdraw? I always think of myself as the Roth IRA generation, but it actually is from 1997, the Taxpayer Relief Act. Okay. All right. So it was just a few years. Yeah. I didn't open one till 10 years after that. Yeah. yeah I, I was around the same. It was just a few. Yeah. So Roth was still just gaining steam whenever I learned about it. And then I eventually got one myself. All right. So you have the Roth IRA, you have some sort of pension and actor's equity, and you have your 401k. Do you have anything else? And then I just have the investments, the stocks and ETFs that I have personally that are myself that aren't in any kind of um, you know, taxable fund like that that's just uh, open and I invest in th – that. that's kind of whenever I can. I know that they say you should do the IRA first, 401k, then you should do your own investments. But I – for whatever reason, I've always gone the opposite direction <laughs> with that. So I have a bit more uh, savings in the um, – in my own stocks, in my private stocks than I do in the IRA stocks. Yeah. I think something, I don't know the, that we hammer this home enough on this show, but the important thing is the consistent saving and the setting it aside. Whether it goes in a brokerage, a Roth, a 401k, that part to me is much less important than the fact that you are setting aside something and investing it. This goes back to my Susie Orman days where, where she has her own plan. So it's like, okay, I, I see what you did. But I, I've listened to many and, and you're right. The the overall mission of 
of savings, of retirement, whatever it is, is just putting it aside little by little, however much you got, just putting it aside. And the location isn't as important as the act of doing it. I love that. I love that. Okay. New question that I've been asking, do you give to charity? I do. I do. There are certain charities specifically that I give to. And for the longest time uh, in going to church, that was, I grew up in the church. So tithe was a, a big part of that. So that 10% is always kind of in the back of my head. And so when I was regularly attending church, that was who I gave to. But there are also nonprofits that mean a lot to me. Only Make Believe is a nonprofit that I worked with. Uh, that was one of those jobs that I had you know, since living in New York. And they do interactive theater to children living in hospitals and care facilities and do wonderful work with these with these children. And so for me, that just made sense to give to them. So I give to organizations like that. There's also one that recently my husband and I, we found in Utah, and I think they're branching out in different cities and maybe even outside of Utah, but it's called Encircle. And it's specifically for high school, college-age youth to have a place, LGBTQ youth, to have a place for them to basically just congregate. It's not – there is some, uh, you know, if they need counseling services, that's a part of it. But it's mostly just to give them a home, a place to feel like they belong, you know, especially if they're – maybe their families or schools aren't accepting them as much as they would like them it's just a place for them to to get that acceptance from others so it's it's something that when we were in utah actually we visited one of their homes and and yeah it was just set up like a you know like a two-story <laughs> house and had rooms and you know playroom here kitchen here and a place to just kind of relax and do different things they had a couple of offices so we were able to just see what they do and it, it's it, it really was just a literal home for these youth that uh, that may not have that feeling or acceptance anywhere else. That is a fantastic charity. And I have seen so many stories about LGBTQ in Utah, specifically teens, you know, fairly young teens, but into 20s. And there's some really horrible stories about that youth there and even into adults. And so I think that's a great charity, totally fantastic one. Yeah, the, the mental health and, and suicide rates have really been a troubling statistic there over the last few years. And in circles, just, they're just doing what they can to, uh, to yeah. help that. All right, so now a question that you and I actually got into on Instagram. <laughs> we, we didn't get into a fight, just a friendly conversation. Right. It was about creatives opening up LLCs. So instead of just working as an individual or a sole proprietor, actually incorporating, you've been in New York City over 15 years as an actor, and in 2021, you opened up an LLC for yourself. Can you explain why you did that? Well, it, it was that last week in 21. So really, 22 is kind of the, the year of my LLC and whatever it's going to, to mean for myself. But why I finally took the step really had to do with my own podcast. And I was realizing that I was branching out into many things. I wasn't just an actor going to this theater or that theater. I was starting to branch out and doing other things. I was, I was, I was hosting. I wanted to produce things, which over the years I have, I've done a little one act play here or a cabaret there, but I wanted to start producing other things. 
my podcast was certainly something that was gearing up. And I actually just did my first live event that my LLC produced as part of my podcast. So I'm starting to branch out beyond just an actor. And it felt like I needed, I guess, the the, the name, the cachet of having a, a business, an LLC proper behind me. And so that's why I decided to, because I love alliteration, I decided to bring my performance, podcasting, and producing all under one umbrella. So that's when I came up with, why I'll never make it, that acronym is W-I-N-M-I. So Win Me is what I is what I have been calling it. So now I have Win Me Media LLC, and it just incorporates all of these three Ps that I have been uh, doing. So you have benefited from the PPP. Is what I'm hearing. In that. <laughs> right. Finally, some someone did, right? <laughs> That'll be a dated reference, hopefully, in a, a year or two. Hopefully, yes, yes. Okay, fantastic. So and and when you produced your cabaret, did you did you have to have like a checking account and you paid it out of that? Or are you sort of just doing business as usual, except that you can get a paycheck in that LLC name? Well, in the research that I did, I I did find out that Keeping finances separate is really kind of the biggest thing because being a single member LLC, for tax purposes, it won't change a whole lot. It just it just gives more credence and and I guess more of a legalized way of of deducting and declaring expenses and that kind of thing. So from a tax standpoint, it it does help and certainly obviously limits my liability. That's the whole point of LLCs. The finances were really the biggest thing that I had to separate. As far as business operation, I did want to, I did want it to feel like I was running a business. So now my iPad, for example, only has my business emails and business stuff and apps that I would use for that. And then my phone kind of bridges the gap, but it's mostly personal. And then my computer is able to kind of bridge the gap because I'm going to have to be doing a lot of stuff on my computer for both personal as well as professional. So I, I've i at least tried to have certain areas where at least mentally I'm separating this is what I'm doing personally versus this is what I'm doing business-wise. Doing that cabaret, which was at the Green Room 42 here in New York, that was my first time when I went to them and I said, can you please, you know, because they come up with the whole contract and agreement, can you please put my LLC there? It was the first time that I used my LLC as the producer or the client of the green room. So that was, you know, my first step in kind of establishing what this LLC is going to do. And I think going forward, it's starting to become a little more clear now that I have my own bank account specifically just for WinMe Media then I do put my own money into it. So at least it just kind of has some dollars in there that then I can spend. So I know that anything going in and out of that account is all going to be business stuff. Okay, and I just want to ask about this cabaret because it's sort of like a live podcast episode for you. Your first one, did you make money? <laughs> Not even close. No, I mean the the and and the biggest the biggest reason was it was my first. I'm I'm not a great marketer, so I think getting people there and getting so that's something I'm still working on. But then it happened to be on the night that a huge 
snowstorm came through New York, and then Omicron was surging, and so no one wanted to go do anything. So it just, it was kind of the, uh, <laughs> to use the metaphor, a perfect storm of things happening that just kept people from being there for the event. But at the same time, I think that it did make some money. And so I think all in all, I think I was in the red about two or $300, which is not bad. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's a selfish question for me because I have no intentions to do live episodes, but I'm sort of, my interest has peaked just a little bit. <laughs> so I'll see how you fare. And then <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, it really just, it just depends on the venue really. And, uh, and I, I think the green room is a good fit because my guest was not only able to talk and ask and answer questions, but then he was able to sing as well. So that added a different element that I don't have on my podcast normally. So for that venue, I think it really worked. Because yeah. I'm not opposed to doing one, but like you, I'm not good at marketing, nor do I even want to ask people to go. So that's not very good if I'm not even willing to ask people to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not going to help much. So now let's wrap this up a little bit. So regarding finances, what advice would you give somebody that's starting their career now, or maybe that you wish you had known or done when you started out? I would say that the biggest thing that I've learned financially that any actor, I think, needs to do, and, and, and I think it works for any artist, really, but, but actors specifically, especially since our paychecks come so sporadically and we never know where the... Is that you have to, if you're going to do a budget or if you're going to save up money, you're basically budgeting and saving for when you're out of work. So it's, it's great that... You're making money. Say, you know, say you get that job that pays you a thousand a week or whatever it is. Great, you know, live that. But what I always do, as soon as there's above a certain threshold, I then start putting that money away, whether it's investments or an emergency fund just in a bank account. I put it away somewhere because that job is really just helping me get through when I don't have a job. And I think if actors can start to recognize that, then. Instead of going from a thousand a week to to two hundred a week unemployment, back to fifteen hundred down to one hundred and fifty, you know, instead of these ups and downs, I'm able to live off, you know, six or seven hundred a week, kind of in there. And then when I don't have income, then my savings is then kind of still keeping me afloat at kind of the same level. And it's really just a matter of maintaining a balance. I I would rather not go up and down that much financially. I'd rather find an equilibrium. So for each person, that equilibrium is going to be at a different point. So it's a matter of finding that and figuring out ways to stay at it, even when you aren't working. Is there a book or resource that you can recommend that has helped you with finances or the business side of your career? I would say over the years, I mentioned Susie Orman before. So there's people like that that are out there. Clark Howard is another one that whenever I lived in Orlando, I listened to him a lot on the radio. So there are those people, Dave Ramsey, you've you've talked about his precepts and the things that he teaches as well. So I think there are these financial people out there that you can listen to. And I would say that my foundation probably has come from them. But over the years, like for my LLC, I had to go to some place completely different. And it's more or less finding the resources that are reliable and trustworthy to get the right answers. Like for my LLC, I went to places that were very trustworthy to figure out what is step one, what is step two, what what do I need to consider? And then in researching 
bank accounts, for example, you know, Nerd Wallet, these kind of places that are out there specifically for people who may not know where to go, Nerd Wallet and those kind of resources have so many different lists of things like, hey, if you need a business checking account, here's our top recommendations, you know, those kind of things. Nice. If there are artists, well, let's say actors, if there's actors listening right now to you and they're thinking, Patrick, he's got it together with his finances, and they're maybe thinking to themselves of why they'll never make it, at least with their finances, is there any advice or encouragement that you can give to them? <sighs> I know, I know, because acting is its such a fickle job because our income unfortunately, is often so based upon what other people think we're ready for. Or, you know, is it this person or that person? No, I'll, I'll hire this person. So then we don't get a job because they went with someone else. I, I think the mental game, even more than the financial game, the, the, the mental part of it is so important. And I think once I wrapped my head around and was in a better mental space, then looking for work, auditioning, the finances, relationships, you know, everything else that's kind of outside the periphery of the actual acting started to 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 kind of fall in line as well because my my mental space was was just better and I was better able to handle the the that quote unquote rejection of not getting a job or not feeling worthy of being an actor. And because this isn't just sitting in an office and, oh, oh, did I get the right figures because I'm an accountant? You know, did, did, I, did I do it right? No, this is, I'm giving of myself and I'm doing something. It's very personal and very emotional and coming from within me and they didn't want it for their show. You know, that, that's, a, that's a different kind of a mentality, a different way of, of thinking and presenting yourself. So if someone can start to figure out what it is that makes them valuable, what it is that gives them worth outside of just being an actor, then I think everything else can start to fall in line and there won't be as much anxiety or pressure to get that job, to get that money, to make sure you're doing this or that. I love it. I love it. All right. Last thing, where can people connect with you? Yeah. I mean, people can find me. My best place is on Instagram. That's what I use both personally and for my podcast. So on Instagram is P-O-J-N-Y-C. And then the podcast is WinMe, W-I-N-M-I, WinMe Podcast. And actually, WinMe Podcast is where you can find me anywhere on social. I've, I've basically tagged that as my handle and username for you know any social media. So you can find me on Instagram. But yeah, whyillnevermakeit.com is the website where you can find that. And as far as live events, I'm certainly hoping. I'm, I've been in contact with Green Room. We've done one. They seem interested in doing more. So as I, uh, you know, get guests who want to come and join me, then uh, Green Room will definitely be the place. And well, the whyillnevermakeit.com will list those dates as they become available. Fantastic. All right, Patrick, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This has been a joy. You're you're very fun to talk to, and you've made me feel very <laughs> at home talking about some difficult subjects. That's it for this week's episode. My takeaways are that stand-in job at Jimmy Fallon. It just never crossed my mind that that can really be a full-time gig. I mean, I knew that it could, but now I've actually met somebody 
who really has that job as their livelihood. Save consistently and early. We glossed over it, but if you don't have a Roth IRA yet, or if you aren't setting aside part of each paycheck, stop listening to this and figure out how to start today. Patrick mentioned he rarely is able to max out the Roth IRA annual limit of $6,000, but he still does what he can. My final takeaway is that Patrick is organized. There's no drama with his finances. He files his own taxes using TurboTax, and that's with having an LLC. Yes, he has all the 1099s and W-2s, but he's able to do it, which means that you can do it too. You already have to save your receipts and be organized, so why not also do your own taxes? If you enjoyed this episode, I have three favors to ask of you. The first one being if you are on LinkedIn, please find the post that I'll make for this episode and put any feedback about the show. That's the best place to connect with me. You can find me there by searching my name, Ethan Steimel. Now, the next favor is to consider becoming a patron of Artistic Finance on Patreon. It will help keep this programming coming, and in return, you will be able to access the outtakes from today's show. Today's outtakes consist of Patrick talking about his very first jobs in high school. As a patron, you'll also be able to access outtakes from every previous episode, and you'll get a private podcast feed and early releases of episodes you can join up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. That's the best way to support me. The third and final way is to pay our optional fee for listening, and that fee is to tell somebody about this show. My latest suggestion on how you can tell people is to do it as you cross the street. Specifically, in New York, this is easy to do. You walk, and inevitably, a biker or taxi cab will try to run you over. And when they do... You strike a pose, shake your fist at them, and say, Hey, I'm walking here, and you should be listening to the Artistic Finance Podcast. Now get out of here. You could also say, If you're not investing, you're dying. However, and whenever you tell somebody about the show, thank you. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.